0: i'm steven joining me this week jack easton's here
1: as always great to be here with this uh honestly kind of iconic trio of films i think we've really outdone ourselves this week
0: we have we have i feel like this is the most optimism vaccine we've ever gone in the history of the podcast so uh this is fucking pedal to the floor right now which i am 100 percent here for also joining us adam myros
2: I I don't know about letting Jack pick uh, themes for episodes anymore. You know, I
1: I don't think I picked the theme. I think I inadvertently stumbled on a theme mm-hmm. and joked about it, and then Steve decided it was the theme. I'm I'm not sure how culpable I am here. I was just making conversation.
2: I don't yeah, know that, yeah. that it's... It's... shape cast. That wasn't a good performer, Jack. It wasn't a good, <laughs> good performer. Well, this
1: is this is much. This is not shape cast. My God, no, <laughs> it's we milk
2: were... cast. <laughs>
0: It's no. the milk cast, baby. <laughs> no, yeah. No, this, well, this is how the podcast works is someone has a bad idea or comes up with a joke. And then I say, yes,
2: that's what we're doing. It's just it's oh. mad libs. You say a noun and then we make a podcast episode out of it. <laughs>
1: that's Yeah. Well, I mean, we don't know for all we know, this could be a huge hit. This could be the beginning mm-hmm. of like the big time for us. Maybe 20 years will be a retrospective documentary and we'll all be throwing our minds back to milk cast.
0: Yeah, that was that was the tipping mansions.
1: point.
0: <laughs> this is where we become podcast royalty. This is what the world is screaming out for. Uh, Myros, let me ask you a question
2: first, though. You see that uh, you see that zone of interest yet? No, I've not seen the zone of unbelievable. Yeah. Un-fucking-believe. I thought you were like the number one Jonathan Glazer man around here. I think Jake might be number one, but I, I do love Jonathan Glazer. Yeah, but, uh, it's, it's well also it, there's there's a like, balance between my hatred of World War II films and uh, my love of Jonathan Glazer.
1: I, w- I would say I'm catching in the cinema if you can. It actually it it's worth it for the sound, unless you've got like full yeah. five one at home. Maybe you do, I don't know. But even then,
2: no, I'll it's do actually a simple, uh, humble stereo setup for me.
1: Humble stereo is not going to capture it. No, it's just going to be like a. Just you'll be a leering pornographer without the the immersive sound design playing around you.
2: So mm-hmm. yeah,
1: you definitely go, I, go to the AMC.
0: I agree. Go to your local multiplex because uh, the, the sound design is just, it's nuts. And it kind of makes the movie. It's really a big part of it. Uh, let me ask you something else though, Myros. Uh, you know, seeing as how I, I, I look at the people on the podcast and I go, who is the big misanthropic anti-Semite in the group? And clearly, uh, if we look at if we look at history, it, it all points to you. So do you think it's anti-Semitic to eat a large pepperoni pizza in the theater while watching Zone of Interest? Well, I don't see why. I mean, you got to eat. <laughs> that's, OK, Jack, you want to weigh in on this one? Uh, I mean,
1: objectively, you do got to eat. I mean, that's fair. However, mm-hmm. I'm not sure about an entire pizza in a cinema. I think you could just bring a slice or two in, maybe just get you through. How, big, I, I how was, big? a pizza are we talking here?
0: Oh, we're talking. We're talking a large pepperoni. I was pretty impressed. Now, the the theater does sell pizzas, so that's that's part of the allure. But um, well, then what do expect? Someone
2: that, to the theater's selling the product, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> that,
0: doesn't, that doesn't make it. I would just. I just love that it, it was a, a theater. It was like me and like eight extremely old people. And then just a guy just fucking housing an entire pepperoni pizza. It was amazing.
2: Well, did you uh, get popcorn? also added to the sound
0: design. <laughs>
2: What's that? Did you get popcorn?
0: Uh, no, no. Oh, okay, fair. Yeah, I was going to say,
2: what, what distinguishes one is more anti Semitic than the next? That it was cooked uh, in an uh, oven or what? Pork products? I don't know. Well, fair. fair.
1: <laughs> I, I would just say, yeah, Zone of Interest is just not really a great snack film. No, uh, just there's, no. there's long passages where people are just going to hear you basically enjoying snack food and it's just it doesn't sit right in the same movie that has like uh, a girl hiding fruit in the countryside and the off chance it might save someone's life
2: Mm -hmm. maybe just get a candy you can usually keep those quiet you know
1: uh, you can't with just, the wrappers, I mean.
2: Well, no, you get an unwrapped. You got to get, like, a Mike and Ike or something. I uh, yeah, I don't I don't know why cinemas
1: sell candy in the, like, stupid plastic wrap. Like, I feel like it's a big enough industry, but they need their own, like, break-in, you know, brand, like, AMC brand Sour Patch Kids that removes the plastic yeah. inner sleeve that, like, comes in, present in some other quiet format. That seems like it would be a winner to me, because right, they're so, still going to charge I you seven bucks idea. for it.
2: Yeah, I think the real solution that we must all arrive at is that the the proper way to enjoy it is to commit your own genocide on a box of Sour Patch. Mm-hmm. That's the way to do it. Really, tears Bearing up. Mouth, dangerously but
1: it's worth close it. to to Steve's accusations. There, I feel like. This, <laughs> I uh...
0: What what kind of solution is that, Myros? You want to talk more about solutions? I,
2: I'm just ah. you're wiping out the entire population of those kids in their Sour Patch. <laughs>
0: I'm, I, to about I'm like not that. gonna
2: speak to it that's relation to the horrors of history. That's really none of my business. <laughs> yeah, I, I think out of
0: all the Oscar contenders this year, uh zone of interest least snacky. Uh most snacky? Uh I don't know. Oppenheimer, maybe? Poor things? Poor Barbie things seems definitely poor things. It, it I... would
1: it would help you to have something to do. Barbie. Is Barbie up for best picture? I mean, that's that's a no, it's not. That's all that about.
2: As Hillary Clinton told us, it's it's not because no no it's up for best no
1: it's up for best picture it's not up for best director or or yeah yeah Gerwig got snubbed
2: apparently Oh, I think that's probably an adequate representation of Barbie I think
1: think it's quite getting best picture I think is is a pretty big deal and like that movie is literally about consumerism so I think pretty much you can do whatever you want during it
0: Mm -hmm. yeah I thought it was enough for a movie to make like two billion dollars but apparently it needs to be nominated for everything instead of almost and it's, everything
1: especially fun because margot Robbie didn't get a best actor or best actress nomination but she is nominated as producer and greta gerwig didn't get best director but she did get nominated for best director best adapted screenplay so like they're they all are up for oscars which in and of themselves are like supposedly a big deal so i don't know it just seemed goofy, and it, like because the whole implicit thing about that was that gerwig it's like who should have? Who should she be there instead of? And they're like, oh, it's Justin Theriot, the woman we've never heard of, which just seems a little <laughs> bit self defeating to the entire argument. Because like, what Martin Scorsese doesn't belong there, It's like, he kind of does. Christopher Nolan doesn't belong there. I would agree he doesn't, but uh, no one else will. So whatever, you
0: know. I'll, I'll, get, I'll, on that, I'll get on As long as there's no path. Daniels, I don't want any Daniels winning shit.
1: Yeah, I mean, whatever, I don't like Oppenheimer, but at least it's not a fucking extended internet skit, so yeah, um, mm. I would take that sweeping the board over everything everywhere, every time, all at the time of everyness.
2: Mm. Well, that, that's uh, not nominated this year, you guys are behind the times, yeah, I I know what's nominated, just ask. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, as people, as our, our listeners know, our Oscar our Oscar pods are typically pretty current, pretty with the groove. Pretty insightful. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. People yeah. are saying we got our fingers on of some pulses. Several pulses. Out there. Absolutely. So all of them. I am yeah, certain yeah. I've
2: seen uh, at least one of those films, maybe. Probably not.
0: <laughs> Probably
2: not. I don't think you have. No, no I don't I, think so.
0: I, I will say, like, obviously, people getting like Hillary Clinton getting mad about Barbie is that's the top story. But then the the low-key annoying story is people mad that past lives got nominated for best picture and and not like anything else. Um, which I would agree that that's stupid, but not for the reasons those people think. <laughs> right. They think it should have been nominated for like actor, director, etc., etc. So, I just think it's dog shit. So it's a I good know?
1: good segue because uh, honestly, this this episode we're going to be talking about what I think is one of the best debut films of uh, twenty twenty three or twenty twenty two when it first came out. But, oh, you know. I
2: thought you meant we were talking about a film that uh, is dog shit because that's also uh, no. Well,
1: <laughs> I mean we have we have multiple avenues of entry here, but I'm just saying one of these films I think is. Truly, a really promising, interesting debut film. And in another episode earlier, last year, we discussed Cinnamon in our Tubi specials, which I think is another mm-hmm. great debut, promising debut feature film. Um, and Past Lives, maybe in my my list of films I watched last year, maybe a distant third on that list of promising debuts. Yeah,
0: yeah, it really is. It's like I don't know. I'm I'm sure this person could do something competent in the future but yeah it, I don't, really don't want to like, shit on I it. just got out of film school but I don't want to shit on them yeah completely yeah, I don't, <laughs> don't want to really shit on them that much I,
1: <laughs> I like past lives I think it's not a great film but i mean, like, uh, yeah absolutely I think maybe maybe Celine Song can make a really good movie down the line I think the my reservations about that are not about her abilities but American cinema's complete inability to offer uh, anything good to filmmakers now it's like next yeah. it, what's she going to do now like she'll probably be either making fucking barbie 2 or a, a lion king adaptation probably mulan 2 the new asian live action remake or else she's going to be making just like i don't know they don't with superhero movies are, are falling apart like you can't even go that route but that's that's american cinema it's like make one breakthrough indie film and next thing you're just on a gravy train of total shit there's yeah. no in between uh,
0: director of past lives what if what if they made like hear me out uh disney approaches him and, and says we're doing a a live action remake of the three caballeros and sydney sweeney has signed on to play a parrot in a sombrero what do you think i i, I think you, you jump on it right like that's that's the future Barry that's how you Jenkins really would. <laughs> <laughs> just something to think about also if disney announces live action three caballeros i want to i want to fucking check in the mail I don't it's even know idea. what three
2: caballeros is. What? How do you not
0: know that? It's the fucking birds with the, with the sombreros. Steve, Disney, Disney
1: don't even pay the people who wrote the scripts. They keep remaking. They're not going to pay you for giving them ideas.
0: Is this a,
2: yeah, uh, that's true. is this a short? No, it's like a full length
0: fucking musical. Uh, uh, it's got Donald duck and like a green bird and a red bird and they fucking sing and they wear sombreros. No, I I've never seen this. How you never seen this shit, man? Come on. I don't know. You sure
1: this isn't like a Berenstain Bears thing? Because I've got to admit, I've not seen this either. But then <laughs> again, Disney didn't play much when I was a kid because... This
0: is this is fucking Donald Duck erasure. This is uh, this is a uh, a major work of 1940s golden era Disney. Come on. <laughs> uh,
1: I feel like Donald Duck erasure is one of the lesser erasures. I, like, yeah, I don't think I'd miss it. Down. Like, Daffy <laughs> Duck erasure, I would not abide. I That would be unacceptable. Donald... Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean kinda. I mean, there's probably some good stuff there, but I just don't really
0: give a shit. It's also I, th- I think it's it's like a fucking anthology film too, which is weird. Yeah, I'm seeing Disney, some live but...
2: action going on in this thing.
0: Well, you need uh fully live action. You need fucking Sidney Sweeney as the green bird.
2: Okay. Well, we'll sign us <laughs> up. We'll we'll invest. <laughs> we'll
0: invest. All right, good. I got my producers on. Anyways, let's, uh, let's talk about a great movie that apparently no one fucking saw, because or maybe they did, and I'm just an idiot. Uh, the cow who sang a song into the future. Um, this, is, this is wild, because I had never heard of this before. And then, Jack, I feel like you told us about this, and I expect it to be like four hours long and just like like a, the workmeister harmonies of the last three years or something, no, it's just based on the fucking name. But it's not that at all. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty... Brisk and it's beautiful to look at, and it's it's very compelling, and it it flirts a lot with horror and sci-fi and and genre filmmaking, while also still feeling like a little Sundance art house movie, which is what it is. But uh, holy shit, where'd you dig this thing up? It's it's been around. Uh, it got some good
1: notes when it came out last year, but yeah, I would agree. I feel like it. I I think it deserved more love. It, it's it hasn't really been talked about that much in in the Subsequent months when people were putting together their year end list, it seemed conspicuously absent, which I thought was a bit of a shame. But, um, yeah, it's uh, you think four hours long, but no, you see, you missed it's not Argentina, it's from Chile. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know what length of film they make there typically, but this comes in at what 95 <laughs> minutes, it's a nice, 90-95. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah, it's it's I, I think it's a really lovely film, I, you know, um. And and kicked off this whole thing for reasons that will become apparent as we go on. But yeah, this this is a movie about uh, cows and and feminine construction uh, and those mm-hmm. two things: dairy cows and and uh, women. And how maybe they <laughs> are related in ways if we were to put a lens to the world in a certain Jeez. way. But and it's, you call me a,
2: problematic. For God's prob- sake, I'm just saying, I
1: don't think that's yeah. what, I don't think the film's come out of going, this is good, everything's great. I don't think that's the takeaway. Here's, just here's
0: Jack's poll quote. This is what I understood. All I heard was uh, women be cows. That's, yeah. that's women, all I heard. <laughs> no, that's...
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, but the B is a capital B. It's not the word B. That's I just want to stylize it in my branding. But uh, yeah, it's a uh, oh, women bee cows with the B E E because there's also bees in this for a queen it's reference. True. So, mm. which honestly, it's funny thing about this movie. Actually, if you were to describe its elements, it really sounds very heavy handed and a little bit kind oh, of yeah. like pretentious in its kind of ideas and laying out of kind of feminine uh concepts and so on but uh, it's it's really i think quite like with this touch i think is really lovely the way that it's presented it's kind of it's not a film that's like here are, and here's problems you know here's things that are happening here's my grievances or my you know we need solutions it's not laid out like that at all it's very much just kind of like a thoughtful kind of tone based film that just allows you to kind of step through a family crisis and and so on um, yeah, you just I was really impressed by this, and this is the the director's first film, uh, and it's it definitely should get some more notice. I think.
2: Yeah, you do. Yeah. You look at these elements, and and even before that, I, like Steve said, uh, workmaster harmonies or something. Like I got a totally different vibe, especially if you look at like the poster they've got up on IMDb, and it I, it just seems like it'd be like a Netflix original, like one of these fucking movies, like. I don't want to be standing in this meadow any longer. And you're like, fuck, what is going on with these movies? What are they? And so, yeah, I I was expecting a a twee nightmare. And on paper, uh, it seems like it is, but also it's good. (laughs) Like like there are points in this where I'm like, oh, God, what does this movie even do? This is like, it's just laying it in and it's just going to be, it's going to go nowhere. And it kind of doesn't, but that's okay. I don't know. it. It's a skilled filmmaker is the thing. You you watch this, especially when they actually bring in the cows. Like, these scenes are powerful stuff. Like, just really emotionally wrenching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To, to To run
1: through the plot, just generally speaking, I guess if you're like, should I watch this movie? What kind of a movie are they even describing? I mean, it's essentially... <laughs> kind of like an interesting premise more than a plot driven thing. And it's basically a, a woman who apparently committed suicide 20 or 30 years ago, just suddenly, really, really just, cool way. And yeah, but she's just driving her motorcycle into the river. Uh, she, she just gets out. She just wakes up and comes back out into society. She, uh, same age she was when she left and she's walking around and people are seeing her and kind of uh, a little bit understandably surprised. And, uh, she kind of matches up with her family who run a dairy farm and her daughter has very bad feelings towards her, obviously, because she committed suicide and left them, among other things. Um, and the mother, of course, has children of her own now, a daughter and uh, two daughters, really, because one of her, her kids is transgender and is in a difficult phase of, of swapping over where she seems very comfortable swapping over, but her mother is is not quite there yet. So it's it's a film and and essentially this film just kind of like uses a backdrop of the farming and of this lovely countryside the whole film is set in to kind of examine, I guess, constructions of femininity and of uh, motherhood as, you know, kind of both personal and social forces. And that's really the film. And I say it's not like preachy. It's not this is about this you should look at it like this it's very much just kind of gently introduces these ideas and marries these images together i mean as adam says this is it's real filmmaking stuff it's really kind of brings it into the image the cows become this interesting kind of background there's a musical number involving them and um, it's it's really something it's it, i thought mm. like i just really and i've watched it twice now as i rewatched for this podcast and i was wondering you know will it dip with the novelty kind of gone with me knowing what i'm going into uh but no i i still found it really just very touching very very kind of uh what would you say um very involving and emotional cinema. It's it's just really good stuff.
0: Yeah, it's it's really pretty subtle and and gentle considering the heaviness of the themes. Um, and then I also like how uh, the the rules or whatever that the the resurrected mother plays by they're they're just they're kind of like messy and blurry, so you don't fixate on those things too much. But essentially, she can't she can't speak. She can sort of communicate a little bit by just like emotionally affecting the people she's around and um like fucking with electronics a little bit but it's not it's not a big part of it like it's it's her presence and the and the things that uh people sort of project onto her when they see her that that moves things forward Uh, i also love how and this is kind of a theme that we're going to play with too i love how we're going to connect the cow who sang a song into the future which i described as subtle and gentle (laughs) it actually goes really well with uh visitor q which we're going to talk about later uh but but just like i don't know about that (laughs) that the, the mother you know it kind of pops back up into the lives of these family members and and the effect that she has on him. And I, I think like probably the most powerful scene in the movie is uh, the, the trans daughter who the mother refuses to accept still calls her Tomas. Um, and then she also has like a, a young daughter and that daughter, it's, it's almost like she ignores her completely. Like, I don't know if she's acknowledged more than like once in the mm-hmm. entire movie by her mother. Um, but you've got, the, the 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 woman who comes back from the dead who literally can't communicate and, and doesn't feel heard and, and is incapable of reconnecting with her family. Um, and then she shares this like really like tender moment on a boat with the trans daughter who feels basically the same way. Like she can't communicate effectively with her family so that they'll accept who she knows that she is. And
2: uh, it's it's really nice. It's Very heartwarming. Uh, you like humans too much, Steve. I, I thought that by far, like, the highlight for me was at a similar stage in the movie, just when when the mother is sort of, like, visits these infant cows and is almost, like, feeding them. It, it's just such a, a powerful image that, that really kind of summates a lot of what this film's doing. And, yeah, again, it, it seems like describing that, especially from us assholes who like to... Watch people get chopped with swords and whatnot. Uh, it, it just seems like uh, it could go wrong, but it, it is something about it that's just incredibly poignant.
1: Yeah, this yeah. episode is strong. Uh, here's three dudes telling you to watch the movie about about women, uh, <laughs> but that's what we're doing on unapologetically. Don't worry, it gets worse. Right. We're going worse places. In this this is episode is
0: we'll... for the ladies, really. It's that's what it's about. This is about uh, you know matriarchs of various families. Uh, the, the, the power of women, that's that's what we're here to tell you all about.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it. it's interesting. I, mean, I think that the offset of dairy farming is obviously a very loaded image to, firstly, to compare women to dairy cows is obviously a very potent thing. But I mean, it kind of, there is that element to motherhood as this kind of like uh, farmed out kind of, duty that women have to subscribe to for social benefit and expectation and it, it, i think this is really what the film is is that it doesn't lean into anything particularly heavily it just kind of mm-hmm. marries various different perspectives really really kind of comfortably and like the scene that adam talked about with the young calves come in and start you know suckling on the woman's hand when she's petting them, and there's like this greedy suckling the cows these calves are doing, and it's just like they've been deprived of milk because, as is noted elsewhere in the film, on a dairy farm, calves don't get to suckle on their mothers because their mother's milk is being sold for profit to humans, uh, and mm. that's you know, that's the setup. Um, and she comes in and it's it's just these kind of, it's not that motherhood is bad or it's not that there's, you know, there's not a condemnation of that, but this kind of acknowledgement of this balancing act and this often losing balancing act where obviously the mother in this film, now grandmother, I guess, who committed suicide, mm-hmm. uh, you know, was someone who could not find a balance uh, at the time. And her return where she's a much freer, more kind of like l- mysterious figure is sort of to you know, interplay, like, you know, as Faulkner said, you know, the, the past is never dead. It's not even the past. It's very much that element, you know, of like that. The, these things linger, her death, her presence, her lack of presence, all of these things are still shaping this family. Um, and yeah, it's just, I think it's just a very skillful intermingling. I would say, you know, this film isn't exactly reinventing anything in terms of its allegorical framework or its cinematic techniques, but it's just a very lovely competent a, a kind of utilization of all those things it's it's just a film that really works well within its own framework and uh, mm-hmm. yeah I, th- I think it's um it's very promising i'm certainly i'm you know i will check out the next film from this director whose names keeps in mind francisca ariel or arav can someone Allegria? check Agria? Alegria, French, there we
0: yeah, go. Francisca Alegria. Yeah, um,
1: so yeah. yeah, I I will absolutely check her her next work. That's she's on my she's on my my lookout list now. Where mm. uh, whatever song or Celine song, you know, probably I'm probably gonna have to hear about it anyway. And I hope it's good. I hope it's better. But you know, yeah. man, it's it's weird how this shit goes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great great fucking movie. Uh, genuinely uh, check it out. I don't I don't think it's streaming anywhere right now i know i think you can probably grab it off of like uh prime video or something like yeah i think or it does Fox, have a like... distributor
1: Is a kino or someone have it in the u.s yeah, i kino, feel like,
0: kino might have it yeah
1: yeah it's one of those is just like they have everything like it, it did it went to cinemas in the u.s last mm-hmm. year like it did it did get a it got yeah. more traction than most which is how i found out about it but um
0: yeah and, it played you know. uh sundance in 2022 and then yeah popped up in American independent uh, theaters in 2023. So it was around. It's still around. Track it down. 100% worth it. Uh, but hey, speaking of movies where we want to check out the next thing they do, uh, nothing gets Adam Myros excited like another cow movie, A Lonely Cow Weeps at Dawn. And Myros, I know you can't wait to see what writer director uh, Daisuke Goto is going to do next.
2: I, I mean, this movie's like 20 years old, so presumably. <laughs> well, let me do ask you day, something, don't.
0: buddy. Uh, I, I'm sure you've, you've dealt with relatives that have struggled with uh, Alzheimer's, dementia, memory loss, things of that nature. I have, yes. Yeah, yeah. But what kind of sacrifices have you really made for them? When was the last time you got down on all fours and said moo while they uh, just kind of yanked the milk out of you?
2: Uh, I'm, I'm not a, a very committed family member, Steve.
0: No, you're not. You're absolutely not. This is, this is what we're looking for. But let me tell you about committed family members because, uh, there's this gal Narico who is a widow and she lives with her father-in-law who's losing his fucking marbles and owns a dairy farm. And, uh, no, I'm not talking about the cow who's singing a song into the future. Uh, this is a little different because what does she do? How does she... Help her senile father-in-law. Well, she every morning she strips down fully nude, gets down on all fours in the dairy barn and pretends to be Bessie, which
2: is her father-in-law's favorite. Cow. I At guess. least uh, via right. the translation we're provided. I don't I don't know yeah, why yeah. that name in and particular. Uh, I was feel made like best. yeah,
1: I wonder what it like does in Japan is there like an equivalent because Bessie's very much like that's a cow name internationally around the, the English speaking world, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Bessie's just understood in Ireland and England and the United States somehow. Bessie's just Classic that's a cow what, name. It's what you call a cow. <laughs> I do want, is yeah. Japan. Well, I don't know what, what's the what's the cow name?
0: Does every culture have one? It's an interesting interesting question. a good question that is a good question unsure but uh yeah this is like within the first probably two minutes uh you're watching an elderly man try to uh milk a woman like a cow while she moves and that's how you know you're in for something special uh what is this ultimately well it's an hour long like softcore japanese porno uh but it it also is one that's set against this kind of sweet odd story of a woman trying to help her father-in-law and also like trying to break away from this uh, strange familial relationship she's kind of trapped herself in um but yeah it's it's yeah it's 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 (laughs) unexpected i i happened and it looks amazing it's an amazing looking movie yeah
1: lovely lovely scenic film and i -hmm. i happened across this one in one of my many travails through the internet and of course had seen uh, a cow sang a song of the future so obviously cows were just on my mind so i found this film and it sounded absolutely ridiculous and i made comment about it on twitter and sadly Twitter's search function has failed me and I cannot find who replied to me. Someone this is why Twitter is great, because there's someone I follow on Twitter, Mutual, who who had already seen this movie. Which is mm-hmm. what I think is wonderful. I discovered this movie, I'm like, this is the most ultra insane thing I've ever heard of. And then someone's like, oh yeah, I've seen that. It's a wonderful no, thing. You couldn't really, really emulate only that. Only four people
0: actually. That's yeah, yeah. You you could
1: something you didn't really experience in say the nineteen nineties. It was just it's a newfangled thing. But but whoever replied, they they just noted that uh, this is basically like if Ozu made a, a softcore porn movie. So instantly, mm-hmm. it's like, well, I guess I have to watch this now, not just because it sounds like a silly idea, and it's completely fair assessment. It genuinely, it's genuinely like a Noriko trilogy Ozu film. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if I mean, she's named Noriko, it's it's that on the nose this is what the director is doing. And it's literally about a widowed daughter in law who feels bound dutifully to the father and the father can't let a cow go or her go. Uh, and depending on his stages of senility. And it's it's yeah, I mean, there, there's a real actual trauma working underneath several frankly completely superfluous sex scenes uh, aside Mm. from the milking scenes which are just really odd um but i again tie in with this kind of maternal imagery you know i mean it's it's the the milk and the breasts and the family and the the bosom of the the family all of these things somehow kind of interrelate but in typical fashion for this kind of a film in the weirdest kinkiest way imaginable um but yeah it's 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 not a good porno it's most of the sex and it. it's off either off-putting or just boring or i'd mm-hmm. say completely superfluous but the drama element is uh surprisingly well engaged uh, yeah. for what this and is
0: the the film seems very aware of the fact that the sex is just sort of a like it's just mm-hmm. almost like an insert you know uh there's not a ton of Camera movement, like the the whole film, is pretty still and and pastoral, um, and you know Ozu esque. But yeah, that extends all the way to the sex scenes, which are they're they're not erotic or exciting or anything. They're just it's just like people going through the motions. Uh, I I hate to bring this back up again, but I was thinking about workmeister harmonies, and there's all uh, these scenes where they're you know they're, they're just. A lot of workmeister today uh which is what i automatically think of when i think of like you know uh milking pornos but uh it, there's this long extended cut it's probably like 15 20 minutes long where they're just kind of like walking down a gravel path um and that's what the sex feels like it just it just feels like it's like well now we're here so gonna have sex with this guy and we're just going through it. And then we're going to go to the next part. It, it just, it feels almost like transitive. Like, it, it's not something that feels like a focal point of the film yeah. that you're watching.
1: I think there's a li- Which I is odd for a porno. Yeah, there, there's definitely limitations in this. In that, I mean, there's some weird intergenerational elements to this that don't necessarily, I think, play in. In that, you know, all the men are much older than the women they end up sleeping mm-hmm. with. And that's not really keyed in specifically in like what is otherwise a broader kind of portrait of, of family and female roles within the family it, it doesn't quite mesh i mean it is still kind of a porno it's pretty threadbare in the story point so it's kind of like what is there surprises you by being there but it's also not tremendously fully developed and nuanced but it's just kind of a surprisingly low-key drama and we we just learned prior to to recording that you can actually, you can watch this on tubi and on Tubi, it comes in, in about 38 minutes because they've removed all of the, I think, all of the sex scenes except for the milking scenes. Like they removed everything except the the like core nude element. And mm. honestly, that might actually be an improvement. It might actually be the best way to watch this movie. I, I didn't realize Tubi was an option at the time. We watched the the full uncut thing. Um, but yeah, it to his- be with the the smut without smut edit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, damn this Christian fundamentalists that- running that site.
2: Yeah, it's like in this instance, everything involving that sort of a uh, 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 rapey neighbor and uh, the sister who comes, or the daughter, I guess, who comes back into town. It, that stuff is what detracts here. Like the central relationship <laughs> is is like shockingly interesting and tender and well acted. Uh, yes. despite its its bizarre nature. But uh, yeah, I, it's it's the stuff that probably didn't make the Tubi cut that really lessens this film, frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a winner.
0: Um, now Tubi does not, ma- needs not to a- make
2: a cut of Visitor Q and we'll be in good shape.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, let's talk about Visitor Q. Uh, great movie, according to two very smart, handsome, cool people on this podcast and uh, derided by another. Myros, let let me start by
2: saying, do you hate this movie because it hits a little too close to home? Uh, I don't even know what that could possibly be. <laughs> frankly, <laughs> pulled from the
1: daily life of Adam Myros.
0: Yeah, this is. I I think I've I've heard you talk about this stuff before, but uh, this is uh, so Takeshi Miike. This is uh during I would say one of his most prolific periods. Um. Or at least a period of his career where he was able to keep up that kind of Mike cadence of making a dozen fucking movies a year, uh, but also was weirdly bringing in all kinds of art house and festival accolades at the same time. So right around this period, he's he's made Ichi the Killer, uh, audition, um, Gozu, which is another kind of uh, wacky one. And then in the middle of all of that, he makes this film Visitor Q, um, which is interesting because Takeshi Miike, not known for making, you know, mega budget films, especially at this stage of his career. Uh, But this one was made for basically nothing. Uh, It was part of a six film collection, uh, six films made by six different directors collectively. Those six films had a budget of four hundred thousand dollars. So, however that breaks down, uh, and then Mike shot Visitor Q in three days, and the whole thing was shot with a consumer grade digital camcorder. Like this is fucking DV all the way. All right, uh, and the the only notes that he had were you have to shoot it on digital video, and the theme of your movie has to be pure love, which I love, and so this this starts off with a wonderful title card because uh, the, the film is always presenting us with with really interesting questions that adam myros thinks about all the time and the first title card says uh, have you ever thought about doing it with your dad uh which is something that you know myros contemplates uh, if not every minute of every day at least every other minute and that kind of sets the stage for what you're getting because it is it, it's consumer grade digital video footage uh, grainy ugly uh very voyeuristic and it starts off with a dad just banging his daughter as you do and uh that sets into motion the events of visitor q why don't you like this
2: movie Myros? uh i think you, you kind of got into a little bit of it there uh- <laughs> <laughs> About how it hits too close to home. Yeah, th- this would be uh some prime edgelord bullshit, if you ask me. I I I have I, no I, patience for what the fuck this is up to. <laughs> well, it's it's kind of
0: doing uh <clears throat> well similar to the cow the who sang a song of the future, or, or more notably uh rama Uh it's the story of a mysterious stranger who inserts himself into a family unit's life and then profoundly uh, changes them and their perceptions of themselves and, and each other. I guess that's Um, the
2: sales pitch. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is say uh,
0: salt burn, but good. I think that's another way to think of it, but uh, give me 10 salt. Yeah. It's, it's weird that you, you land on edge Lord with this one, because this is another one where it, it feel it's, it's fucking hilarious. First of all, Uh, but also it, it, Kinda has a softness to it around the edges. Yeah, it's, it's a
1: lovely portrait of a family reconnecting, um, casting aside their their various uh, their various differences and distractions, and coming together as a perfect family
2: unit to move in mm-hmm. oh, God coordination in and coordination
1: and camaraderie.
2: It's just it, <laughs> yeah. it's uh, it's ugly. It's shrill. It's great. It is. Yeah uh, yeah. <laughs> uh I mean, and the humor sure. is is puerile uh, this really it's n- great but it's great as well if you- <laughs> <laughs> it has approximately I mean, I, zero for me <laughs> i I, don't know. I mean
1: i i saw visitor queue for the first time i probably you know when it was it was right in 2001 probably close enough to that when it was coming through when it was uh you know, there was that kind of like Asian extreme explosion and DVD and and Mika was certainly coming through. Audition had done well on festival circuits. It kind of escaped its its video uh, kind of like direct-to-video trappings in Japan and had managed to bust out. Like, uh, I think Cure probably before from Kyoshi Ky- uh, Kurosawa as well, I believe was, I think that was a V-Cinema production, if I remember correctly, I think. A more stately one, but I think in in its native japan it was not expected to do much business outside of direct video sales and then it ended up at a couple of festivals and suddenly was being pulling in raves and um, Mike had that kind of similar experience he was gaining a reputation and visitor q is i mean it felt it felt incredibly transgressive then because not least of all obviously it's a film that specifically Runs head first into every taboo it can possibly think of, but also just the consumer grade video is it looks deranged and kind of unearthly. It was just films weren't presented like that at the time. I mean, you had Julian Donkey Boy, was what 1999? So it's a little bit before there were a few other outliers, but. You you know it, it, this was still unusual to present a whole film on consumer grade digital, and it looks muddy and murky and odd, and it still looks that way. Like there's the, I, I'm confused actually. I'm, I'm fascinated because I know um, Radiance Films, which is a new film label. I'm sure some of our listeners are writing the niche. You already know what this is, but they're they're a new Blu-ray label that popped up in the UK. And are doing some really fantastic releases of a lot of Japanese stuff now. But they they acknowledge they tried to get Visitor queue and they couldn't clear the rights for whatever reason. It fell through. But it's just like I'm just trying to imagine the sparkling Blu-ray presentation of this grungy freak show film. <laughs> uh, it would be it would be kind of amazing. But. Um, yeah. Visitor Q works really well for me. I, you know, with, uh, cause I hadn't seen it in years. So rewatching it for this podcast, I got to say, I was like, how will this hold up? Cause yeah, I saw this in the, the peak of my own edgelord bullshit era. So mm-hmm. how, you know, how well does it work? And honestly, as soon as the guy gets smacked in the head with a rock, I burst out laughing. I was like, no, it's, this is still funny. <laughs> I'm still yep. really enjoying this movie. And I think it is, it's, it's a, uh, I, I don't know if it presents any cogent commentary on anything, but I don't uh, think no, that's necessarily. No, it sure doesn't. Jay. It, I'm not sure it's necessarily that uh, important. There's certainly a vein of misogyny through it, but that's kind of counterpointed by the family reconvening. It's mm. it's a very just peculiar, oddball film that, like Stephen says, is is just kind of sweet in its mm-hmm. own way.
2: Yeah. Okay. Um, I I thought it was real sweet when the guy is fucking a corpse and is convinced that it has become uh, wet, vaginally stimulated even in death by his impressive penis, uh, only to find out that it has actually shit itself. Or, you know, it, it has let loose its bowels in death, and he is is, is he's really that that's that's the revelation right there. He just uh, yeah. Peace, well, you're forgetting
0: this- the, the second half of the joke which is I, d- is it he- a joke <laughs>
1: <laughs> so well, yeah I mean I think the joke that probably prefers on the first half of that because he's killed this woman accidentally but he realized he has to dispose of her corpse and the best way to do that of course is to cut it up so he's mm-hmm. like marking off her body with a marker to like you know Kind of like mark off where he's gonna cut her off her limbs and stuff, and he, he circles her breasts and then her nipple separately. It's like two separate items that will need to be removed for corpse disposal, which is real, just like such a dark, weird joke on how, even in this absurd situation, uh, for the male gaze still rests fully and stupidly on this female corpse is incredibly mm. stupid joke. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know, the film is. It's subversive. Well, I, maybe it's not subversive. It's it's outré and it's 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 gruesome and it's it's gross. But it's also got this lightness to it that I think means it's it doesn't feel to me particularly exploitative or in you know kind of like heavy
0: at all. It, it, it very no. much is no. a very like nimble, well, peculiar and- actor film. Even even when he's. You know, performing an act of necrophilia and uh, realizes that he's covered in poo. Greatest line of the whole movie because when he thinks the corpse is, is like, yeah, vaguely stimulated and wet, as Myros would say. He, then he goes, it's not a mystery of life. It's shit. It just holds up his hand and it's covered in shit. Uh, and then that's not even the end of the joke, because then because of rigor mortis he he's stuck oh and... boy, it's just a fucking <laughs> hilarious
2: it's so I hilarious to, they put him in the they put him
0: in the bathtub and then uh and, and this is great too because it's all part of the family coming together um the the wife who is a uh heroin addict
2: prostitute
0: goes and gets her heroin and she injects it into her husband and that it loosens everything up but he's able to get himself out
2: uh, yeah. Um, yeah it's it's, 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 just it's a movie
0: about about you know coming to terms with your with your weaknesses and your personal failures embracing them and then doing good with them you know yeah and i mean I, with with the mother i mean that's <sighs> it, it doesn't get me better Myers, I, th-
1: I think it's funny because i mean like you're trying to assemble any kind of like commentary element i mean the only character i think who's Fleshed out at all enough to you draw any conclusions from is the father, and the father is mm-hmm. a wreck, and he feels his family is a wreck, but it feel it's independent of him. And um, but he's he's a struggling artist. He's basically he's out. He wants to make documentaries, and he wants them to be real. This is his thing. They have to be real and authentic. And and he's looking at his messed up family and their problems, and rather than trying to intervene or help them in any respect, it's instead just recording it relentlessly with this camera. And then, of course, as he starts going deeper and deeper, it's almost like "Man Bites Dog," a film that came out around the similar time, you know, which is about a camera crew following a serial killer. You know, he starts basically committing his own crimes on camera and filming them as like becoming this document of of realness, and this is his art. He starts to decide this is this is art, and it's it's not. It's it's just weird, antisocial bullshit, mostly. Mm -hmm. But but somehow it coalesces to his family gathering around him to course correct his extre- his extremities and it lessens their own extremities and suddenly they become this this functional unit again under of course again the, the mother lactating and producing milk which becomes this kind of bonding experience for all of them and all this of course is set in in, in in place by the, the visitor Q a wordless almost uh, just mute dude who just shows up out of nowhere in a loud shirt and uh, just hits the father <laughs> over the head with a rock, and then just joins the family. And it's mm-hmm. it's this disruptive, mysterious force that that moves the family to a new balance. And yeah, it, again, I don't think you could derive major meaning from. But I think certainly for me, I think it's funny that he was totally had to make something in digital video and you know expand the possibilities or explore the possibilities of this new medium effectively you know, separate of working with film, digital videos, like it's it's this completely new way you could work, just point and shoot. And his mm-hmm. character in that film is a person who is very into doing that, too, but to clearly shitty ends like he, he's not there's, he's not making anything good. But then his actions are and, and of course, we also have this counterposing that if anything, this kind of uh communication method this 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 mode of communication film would most associated with documentary that's what the father makes but of course everything in the movie is deranged completely from the outset from like opens with a father having sex with his daughter then we have the his son brutally bullying the mother and then we switch back to you know the father being bullied himself and sodomized with his own microphone by some some kids, you know, it's like this weird, brutal society. Everything's heightened. Everything's uh, pushed to a, the absolute breaking point of credulity. um Yeah, it, it's. It, I don't know. It's just. Uh, but uh, like I say, there's just this strange lightness to it that mm-hmm. really works for me. I, I don't know. It's it's just one of these very yeah. funny. Oddball kind of films.
2: I do I think it, you people are out of your fucking minds. I, yeah, this movie—it's <laughs> like what if Teo Cambo was made by a thirteen-year-old? Like no, I, that's
0: Sloperden.
2: <laughs> well, no, I, that is a much better film. I got to say, I, 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 wow. I, so, I think this movie is uh, not funny or or good or profound in any respect. Uh, you know, I wait, think the only thing that are you I found me. Are you telling me that that both
0: poop and people getting hit hit on the head with a blunt object, those two things, aren't just the naturally most hilarious shit ever? You know,
2: the only thing I I found consistently amusing in this film was the bullies, uh, you know, when they were firing <laughs> fireworks into his home every night, uh, yeah. as well as, you know, their ultimate end where you're like, oh, how's this going to wrap up? But it's just like the family... <laughs> chops them all to shit just out of the blue it, that that's kind mm. of amusing there's a couple of, of laughs but in between that yeah uh i don't know there's like again why is it in this podcast because there's like probably 15 minutes of a woman lactating all over the fucking place for it's just it's it's, it's, it's endlessly some life, yeah. Get your fucking umbrella, it's lactation time, boys. <laughs> yeah, so the, this whole kitchen is like a, a covered in a, a sheath of cum and uh, milk and, and the sun is laying be. in it. And it's, it, it's like got this faux importance and it's I, what I it guess, ties
1: the, the family together, society I, together.
2: I, I mean, I, yeah. I guess you could think this is a, a significant in any way or just a dumb lark, but, but for me, yeah, I, I guess if you like your Julian donkey boys, if you if you like your gummos, then this might be up your alley. But it's it's I'm far too old to be watching this shit, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, man, I, I I love how, you know, they're they're unable to deal with any of these external forces until an external force literally implants himself in their home so that they can deal with their shit. You know, it's like the the dad can't make his art. Um, And and like Jack said, it's just this, uh, just, just him trying to film things instead of dealing with them directly. You've got the son who's bullied outside of the home. So then his solution for that is he just beats the shit out of his mom, who in turn is like, please don't hit my face because she has to keep up a certain appearance and you know, no one's able to be who they really are. So in the end, you got to lactate, you got to get covered in shit and you got to brutally murder your, the, the bullies of your children. Yeah. That's, that's the way they do there's it. There's
1: some, yeah, there's definitely, always say like there's there's definitely, I feel like this, this overt element of male destructive forces that are then brought together by a kind of a, a female kind of matriarchal element but it is also set upon uh, the father raping and murdering a helpless woman. So mm-hmm. who's who's to say? Uh, it's, Who it's, is to well, say? Well, that I also
2: can't. is to posit that Mika has anything positive to say about uh, uh, femininity in this film, which is, it certainly does not seem to be the case either. I, again, it's just it's a very nihilistic. Uh, See, it, it, I. I don't know. I
1: don't know if it's nihilistic. You see, I don't I don't take that from I think certainly there's dark elements in it. I think and I think also part of this is probably that Mike was at this point, like Steve says, was, was making in 1999, I think he released like seven movies. Yeah, maybe he should have cut it down know? to five or so. So so I think I think he <laughs> yeah, Miyike was at this point, I think, basically keeping himself amused in, in no small part. I mean he was making movies that were completely off the walls i mean it was around this time as well he did like his dead or alive 2 sequel which i think is one of his best films uh dead or alive 2 rather the sequel to dead or alive which was you know he was told like make dead or alive again and he's like okay and he just he just made his own movie and just called it dead or alive 2 it's a completely absurd separate film and a strangely touching one and uh, so you know i think the, the nihilist elements of this i think there's there's definitely there's there's a lot of like bombast and extreme elements in here that are, you know, it, but if you watch a lot of Japanese v cinema, it's kind of like not particularly out in the the like periphery. It's kind of zany thing. What what's more unusual within it, frankly, is is the warmth, and I think the, the the reconfiguration of the family and the kind of new settling point, and even the suggestion that these things are even possible or worthwhile. So you know, I think within that milieu. <clears throat> the film is is actually pretty kind of warm and positive, rather than nihilist. I I, I would actually have to say. Um, but yeah. also this is if you were to go, hey, you need to check out Japanese direct video cinema. If you put on visitor queue for someone first thing, you're just an asshole.
2: Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I would agree with that. Hundred uh, percent. Yeah, I. Uh, I, I uh... <laughs> No, no, thank you. No, no, it, it might be, <laughs> it might be doing certain things with it. It's milieu, milieu but it's not my, uh, it's not my sort of thing. I, I would stay clear from from Japanese v cinema generally. Like it's, it's not my thing. Not a no, sir. <laughs> uh,
0: you know, the last thing I'll say about this too is uh, aesthetically, it it is, it's ugly and it's grimy yeah, and it's sure grainy is. and it's dark, uh, but. It is kind of fun to see how Mike plays with the form. Uh, specifically, it has this, this naturally kind of voyeuristic look to it because of the handheld digital video. Um, but also, due to Japanese censorship laws, you, you can't show dick. So <laughs> there's all these times where it looks like you're watching a snuff film. And the camera's just kind of bobbing around. But then <laughs> the guy stands up and his dick is blurred out. So it's almost like whiplash yanking you out of it. And uh, then during some of the opening sequences too, when the dad is having sex with his prostitute daughter, as you do, um, she's taking pictures of him with a digital camera while he's filming them with his uh, digital video camera. So you get this interplay between the digital video and the photographs and um it's it's just a really compelling image.
2: Yeah, that uh, is the most that is the most interesting scene in the film. It's also still entirely reprehensible, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's but also it true. is They're like stylistically it, it feels like it's doing something there. We we've got the seeds of an idea that are almost immediately yeah. cast aside for utter chaos.
0: Yeah, and and I haven't I haven't seen this in at least 20 years. This is the first time I've watched it in 20 years. And one of the other things that really struck me this time around um, was just thinking about where reality television was 20, 25 years ago compared to where it is now and, and what it represented. So this is almost, it, it's almost like proto reality TV. Like this doesn't feel informed by, you know, survivor and the competition television stuff. It feels almost like cops or the real world where, the cameras are just kind of set up to go and and things are happening, but there's there's it's not as contrived uh, and also reality television. Now, it's not it's not a, like a dirty thing to be associated with. You know, it used to be let's get the most fucked up weirdos we can possibly find on the face of the earth. We're going to set them up in a very loose scenario and then we're going to tape them and just watch them do embarrassing weird shit that we could never script out. Whereas now it's just like a springboard to being a fucking social media influencer prick. Um, so yeah, this, this harkens back to that, that proto reality and, and even second and third wave reality star. Uh, whereas now it's, it's so much glossier and so much nicer.
2: <laughs> so I mean, hell um, go watch a, a season of the real world and skip visitor queue. That's my advice to you. <laughs> you could do that too. You could do that too.
0: Uh, but yeah, Visor Q. Fucking great. Should it be your first Miike?
2: No, no. He's I, made good <laughs> movies like audition, you know, that that's uh, go watch that. Yeah. I, I would say that. Like if, if you want to get a real taste for Mike, you
0: could basically do his whole run from like 99 through 2003. Like if you went lay lines up until one missed call, you would get the full breadth and depth of who he is as a director. Uh, but that would also take you 10 years because it's probably like 50 fucking movies. But uh, what I would say is, if you're new to Miike, if you're interested in Mika, if you've seen a few of his movies, and you're like, oh, I like that shit. Um, Yes, watch Visitor Q. Uh, no, don't make it one of the first two or three things you watch. Yeah. In fact, your safest bet is watch Gozu first. And if you go, yeah, I really like this. I want it to go a little harder and look a little worse.
2: Or happiness. You, you want her, some gonzo, actually funny stuff, watch Happiness of the Katakuris. That's uh That's a lot of fun. Another good one. This, a lot of, fun, yeah, yeah, lot of fun. No, no. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a pass on this one, guys. It's okay. It's okay to be wrong. You know, it's, it's fine. Fine.
0: Uh, this is two weeks in a row of you being wrong, Myros. So uh, I, I'm looking forward to next week. <laughs> Although, I I don't know. Next week is going to be very interesting. Uh, anyways, we should probably wrap things up. So, uh, Jack Easton, what are you putting over this week?
1: This is a good question. Uh, you know, I, I guess by default, I'm like, I haven't really watched many other movies this week. I watched Crash, the Cronenberg movie on, on film, which was really nice. And that's still good. So you can watch Crash. I watched uh, Poor Things, also on film. Uh, and that's not very good. So don't bother watching that. I thought that was pretty, pretty boring. Um I guess the only other movie that I watched in the, the time was a, a fun movie called The Iguana with the Tongue of Fire, which is, mm. as the title might suggest to you, a jalo because no one else ever would name a film that. And the weird thing about The Iguana with the Tongue of Fire is that not only is it a jalo, but it is based in Dublin. And shot there and in several other locations around Ireland uh, by Riccardo Ferda or Freda, I think actually is his name. Although I think he goes by a a less Italian sounding name in the credits because you don't want to scare off the the viewers by making them think they're watching a foreign movie. And uh, it's it's is it a great Jalo? No. But it's pretty entertaining, and it is it is definitely set in Ireland, which is really confusing. And it's surprisingly violent, It's even by shallow standards. It's, it's a real grim film. Um, so yeah, The Iguana with the Tongue of Fire, I think, wins out based on, you know, you know to watch the Cronenberg movie. Poor things, eh, you can go either way on that, whatever, it's too new. You can't really put over a movie that's up for an Oscar this year several oscars <laughs> yeah so yeah iguana with the tongue of fire go go find that and watch it and and uh try and guess the murderer you probably won't manage but guess what it will turn out to be a very familiar Jalo standard
0: uh, yeah I, I haven't uh i haven't seen that one but now i want to watch it wait, wait, how did you see this iguana with the tongue of fire
1: um i uh, t- i screwed up uh because i meant a get the disc Age ago arrow releases on blu-ray and it's out of print huh. but i found someone selling it for a reasonable price so i i just snapped up a copy so i don't i don't know if it's streaming anywhere right now but uh
0: i'm sure it's online in some form all right yeah and uh yeah poor things uh, i don't know i i liked it i didn't love it uh i know jake is really high on it i know you're not so hot on it and uh my take which in all instances is the correct one is it's it's pretty middle of the road but you get a lot of mileage out of mark ruffalo doing a very funny accent and slowly losing his mind so uh yeah ruffalo is is the fucking linchpin for me he's just great uh, otherwise it's uh, it's frankenhooker but longer it's frankenhooker that's
1: but it's gonna win oscars and frankenhooker yeah. should have won oscars i w- frankenhooker
0: yeah. should have won an oscar that's that's the major takeaway you need from this episode and uh, really anything that's that's the number one thing give frank henelotta a fucking oscar myros what sure. are you putting over
2: oh I, I had a joke queued up about how uh an uh, uh, irish jalo should should actually be called a verde no. <laughs> yeah that's top tier material are you gonna are you gonna keep that one in your set yeah it's it's type five? Type five. <laughs> i have, to have a specific audience on the, you know um, yeah it's
1: gonna be t- it's gonna be tricky to rule roll, roll that one out with the typical audience yeah, yeah, so yeah.
2: The, the audience for that joke is just jack
0: <laughs>
1: how, do even, how do you even tee that one up
2: uh, that's yeah. oh well uh I would have no idea. I have no idea. I guess I'll just have to get you in to bloviate about iguanas, tongues, or whatever, and we'll get there. Um, I'm going to put over. I actually watched something. Uh, wow. Uh, the the uh, Jonathan Tropper show uh, Warrior, which was one of the very last Cinemax originals, um, and it has just gone to Netflix because HBO Max is... is insane and, and just doesn't <laughs> retain their own properties so it's on netflix uh it was canceled after three seasons but uh jonathan tropper is the uh creator of uh, you know the best action series of, of all time i would say uh banshee and this is uh based on a concept pitched by bruce lee before his death um that was declined by a studio and then stolen and repurposed as Kung Fu. Um, Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they, they, his uh, daughter, I believe Bruce Lee's daughter is a executive producer on this and it's basically Banshee except with they it's like smashed together with gangs of New York or something with uh, a lot of Kung Fu and it fucking rules. I gotta say, I, I, I went through uh, two full seasons instead of watching these fucking milk movies because uh, it, it, it's much better than, uh, <laughs> than the majority of these milk things.
0: Unbelievable! I thought you were a milk respecter.
2: Apparently not. Uh, lactose
0: intolerance coming from your
2: ass right I now. I mean, you know, outside of uh, outside of Mi-K, I think I'm on board with these movies for the most part. But uh, they're they're <laughs> Wait, no warrior.
0: <laughs> Are we, we going to call the uh, the uh, episode
2: lactose intolerance? What Ooh, that could <laughs> that, a that could be something. A good <laughs> name for this? That could be something. Uh, my pitch was it's it like does a body good, but uh, I think lactose <laughs> intolerance works.
0: Jack, Jack was some one you had that really <laughs> like uh, the lengthy one that sounds like somebody's fucking like master's thesis?
1: Um. Oh, uh, it's, I, I can't remember what that was off the top of my head. I think my one my my first one was red hot silly fellas uh, mother's milk. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I feel is as good a title as any of our other titles. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, Mark here you go. She. Yeah. Yeah. Mommy Milkers, Feminine Construction, Matriarchy in the Family, a Global Survey. Also, so, so if, who who is this? We can't put this in because the people who are already listening to this are going to have to have already seen what the title was. We don't
2: care about our audience, Jack. This is nonsense.
1: Clear. Now Steve's gonna ask them for money after you just said that.
2: <laughs> well, I, uh, Steve uh, Steve, whatever we named this episode, Steve will tack on something arbitrary. That's what he he's he's very SEO conscious these yeah. days. Yeah. I named it's an episode a couple SEO, weeks baby. ago, and, and he, he went in with his little editing fingers and, and put in something that made sense into the title. I I yeah I can't tell you. I'm just it.
1: glad my gang of four title for for uh Long Armed the Lost Duck. That was a good one. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's but but it didn't, Jack, because now it's Gang of Four parentheses Long Arm of the Law one through four, and we don't need well, that. I mean,
1: I think we have respect gonna...
2: for our audience; they, they have to listen in order to uh, <laughs> uh, to decipher what the films are, or at least read the show notes. You know, we don't. Even I was going to say that the they thumb. they need to
0: listen to be respected, but that's not true either. Well,
2: <laughs> they, you see, they they listen and are disrespected, but they they still feel the respect that we have granted them by you know understanding is, that they would they will I know, listen i, I feel
0: like to we watch. respect our audience more than we respect you is that <laughs> fair at least That's, i think we did. I,
1: Is isn't our thing right now that we just we record whatever and no one needs to know what it is because extended clip is going to cover the same material a week later
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah three months
2: this is, just this remember who did Kitano first, baby! Although, I mean, I don't know if I need to be singled out of this instance. I think it would, be, no. it would be equally fair to just say, we respect our audience more than we respect each other. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair.
1: I don't know. Steve's got a lot of respect for me. Not yeah, my time, I respect Jack for me.
0: <laughs> also, yeah, how how dare another podcast cover a like an acclaimed Japanese filmmaker who's been working for over 40 years like that's seems crazy that seems suspicious to me wanna, seems suspicious yeah well real sus.
2: anyway watch warrior it's it's as fun as, as television gets and uh you know maybe if you watch it and bump it up to the top of the charts netflix will uh hollow it out and make a fourth season that is uh completely sterilized and awful so you could do that yeah get
0: that going. i love that the old arrested development treatment yeah, yeah. love that All right, well, it's my turn to put something over. So let me start by raising a question. What good has capitalism done for the world? And the answer is very little. But here's one thing. Uh, Under capitalism, wealthy people are able to accumulate just impossibly high amounts of wealth. And then they become fully detached from reality. And once fully detached and with endless money and no one to tell them no because they have endless money. Sometimes they choose to create art and this art is incredible because it's like watching a rich space alien who has never interacted with a human being um, make something uh, with a lot of passion and and they truly feel that it's great. Now you don't get this all the time because I get the feeling that most people that are this wealthy also don't have an artist mindset or don't want to like put themselves out there in that way. Uh, But one person who does is Jennifer Lopez and Jennifer Lopez, just a few days ago on Friday, uh, February 16th, she released a movie straight to prime video called This Is Me dot 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 now. Wait, aren't we supposed to be doing this for an
2: episode, Steve? (laughs) Yeah,
0: and I'm putting it over right now. I don't know if we're going to get around to it for an episode, just, just oh, how things are are shaking out. So i got to get this out here because people need to see this shit. Um, if you're saying to yourself, this sounds like the title of a Neil Breen film, you would be correct. And it has similar energy to it. Uh, basically, it is written, produced, and starring Jennifer Lopez. I assume she directed it. She did not direct it, but I feel like this is like a Christopher McQuarrie, like, uh, you know, you're, you a director, but we know, we know who's pulling the fucking strings. We know it's Tom Cruise back there telling you what the fuck to do. Uh, this is a situation where there's no way that, uh, Dave Myers directed this fucking thing. It is beyond bonkers. It is supposedly the story of Lo's life as told through, like nine musical numbers and her therapy sessions with her therapist, who's played by Master Thespian Fat Joe. You know the the Lean Back song. You like Lean Back, Myros?
2: Boy, yeah, that that's a name from the the distant past. At this point, <laughs> I would have thought old so Fat, Fat that, Joe might have passed at this point. Yeah, so it, it's
0: these surreal musical numbers. Because she's like recalling her dreams to therapist fat Joe. So there's one where it takes place inside of a, uh, a fucking like factory. But the factory is like her heart. And then because, you know, subtlety, who needs that? Uh, it, it, the heart actually breaks. It physically breaks just like her heart has broken. It's it's wonderful. Every single thing that happens is like if if someone forged a sledgehammer in solid iron and then wrote the word metaphor on it and then just beat your fucking skull to a bloody pulp. On top of that, the stunt casting is through the fucking roof. Uh, it, it, the other part of this other than like her interactions with the therapist, there's also this like celestial body thing where they've got all the signs of the Zodiac and they're represented by different actors and actresses. So Sagittarius is Jane Fonda. Uh, Leo is post Malone fucking Capricorn is Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, who the fuck else? Kiki Palmer's in there somewhere. Just the most random assortment of assholes you've ever fucking seen in your life. uh, just doing little quips from space about astrology. Absolutely unhinged. No one told her, no, there's no way anyone other than her and Ben Affleck took a second pass at this script. And when Ben looked at it, he was fucking sipping his iced coffee and he just said, yeah, babe, it's great. And the whole arc of this movie is her life is like encapsulated by the fact that she was with Ben Affleck. They broke up. And then she dated a bunch of assholes and then her life was complete once she was once again with Ben Affleck. It is an hour long. It is goddamn amazing. It is one of the dumbest fucking things you could possibly watch in your life. So if you, if any of this sounds remotely interesting... It's only an hour long? It, I know, that's the best part. Because I, I thought, thought it was like, once movie. it started, I was like, holy fuck, this is going to be like J-Lo's Cloud Atlas. Uh, but it's really more like the aesthetic of Cloud Atlas, but it's the length of Trapped in the Closet. It's great. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> highly, highly, highly recommend. Anyways, if you're listening to this podcast right now and you want to say, hey, thank you, Steve and Jack, for being smart and handsome and cool and liking good movies. Uh, or, you know, thank you for turning me on to JLo's Vanity Project. There's a way that you can thank us. And that way is by giving us money because podcasting is expensive. All this hosting costs money. All the things that we do. Shit breaks. You got to fix it. All kinds of stuff. And the best part is, is you can donate just a couple of bucks every month and it will help us immensely. And you don't get nothing for it. You get some, some perks, some treats. We love giving you little treats, podcast listeners. So if you donate any amount of money at all and you live in the continental United States, I will send you a movie from my personal collection in the fucking mail. How cool is that for you? Pretty cool. Plus, by becoming an Optimism Vaccine patron, you're going to get access to the Optimism Vaccine Patreon feed. Very special. Patrons only. All kinds of exclusive written and podcast content. We're actually recording another exclusive episode next weekend. Caustic content is coming back as a Patreon exclusive series. So, lots of things to look forward to. Now. If you really want to help us out, you want to bump up to that $5 or more level, you get a few extra perks. First of all, you get to vote in patron polls uh, because, yes, we have a poll tax. We believe in poll taxes here at Optimism Vaccine. It's $5. And you can vote on a future episode. And you also get your name read out on the air. How exciting.
2: Myros, who are our five and above people right now? Our five and above people right now are David, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. And God bless every single one of them. Now,
0: if you really, really want to donate, you can bump up for just a month if you want to, or more, that $25 level. And what that gets you is that gives you the ability to choose an entire episode. Anything that you want, $25, we will do it. So think about that. <clears throat> Other than that, do you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, anything of that nature, optimismvaccine at gmail.com or you can hit us up on social media at optimismvaccine. we're probably there somewhere around uh and i think that about wraps it up so we'll be back next week jack's on vacation we got some special guests we're doing something really fucking stupid you should tune in